Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. It's an old phrase, and I think that phrase sums up anxiety really well. Anxiety is the belief that anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And maybe you've been there before, maybe you felt like that was true, but that phrase is a really bleak place to live. Because if we look back over our lives, it's probably not 100% true. There were times where things definitely did not go our way. But then there were other times where things could have gone a lot worse than they actually did. See, anxiety is different than fear. Fear is something that's in our brains that's given to us to kind of keep us alive. I really don't like snakes. And when I would go hiking in Arizona, I would constantly be watching the field, trying to figure out if there were any rattlesnakes nearby. That fear kept me alive. The fear of what could happen when we step behind the wheel of a car is what keeps us in the correct lane as we're driving down the highway and keeps most of us going a reasonable speed. But anxiety is more nefarious than that. It's more chronic than that. Anxiety makes us worry about what could be. And anxiety gives us fear, not about what we're up against in the moment, but about all the millions of possibilities of the ways that things could go wrong in the future. I'm not an expert on anxiety, but I'm someone who's wrestled with it in my life. A while ago, there was the Pixar movie Inside Out that came out. And there's in that movie a bunch of little characters of different colors that symbolize the emotions that drive people. You've got the little yellow one and her name is Joy. You got the red one and he's anger. And then there's this little purple guy who's afraid of everything. And I was having a conversation with someone while we were watching that movie and someone asked me, hey, which one of those emotions is the strongest for you? And I had to say, I think it's fear. And I think that, that that emotion of fear and anxiety has driven me so much. I have some anxieties about dumb things. I have some anxieties about big, huge things. Just picking a movie on Netflix gives me just the littlest bit of anxiety because I'm the type of person that when I start something, I really need to finish it. And I wanna know how it ends. And so I get this little bit of anxiety about, am I, do I actually wanna to commit to watching this movie right now? And also when it comes to like my phone charger, if I'm going on a trip, I want to keep my phone charger in my pocket where I can see it and feel it instead of trusting that it's in my backpack. Because there just have been times where things happen, but I also have big anxieties in life. In the middle of all of the uncertainty that's going on with this coronavirus situation, I'm uncertain about the future of our economy. I'm uncertain about the health of my loved ones and our anxieties. I think all of us are feeling that our normal level of anxiety has been ratcheted all the way up to 11 in this. Who would have thought that searching for toilet paper would become an anxiety thing? I remember back when we used to look for toilet paper and compare the prices and say that toilet paper is too expensive. Now we've decided, my wife and I have this rule where it's like, if you see it, you go get it. And so here we are in the middle of this and a full year ago when Ben and I were, were planning out what do we want to preach on and what truths from God's word are going to impact our world in a really real way, what we wanted to share was about what God's word has to say about anxiety. And so here we are in the middle of an anxious time, and I'd like to look at what God has to say about dealing with anxiety. Would you pray with me? Father God, 
I ask that you would speak through me this morning as we look at what your word has to say on the subject of anxiety, God, that your spirit uh, would be with us as we gather in the digital space and as your people that we want to claim um, what it is that you would have for us today. And so we trust you in everything, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's go ahead and open to the book of Philippians. And we'll look at Philippians chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible or a device, go ahead and open up Philippians chapter 4. We'll jump in with verse 4. And as you're finding that, let me give you a little bit of background on what's going on with the book of Philippians. If you look at the New Testament part of our Bible, there's a huge chunk of that New Testament of books titled like Philippians, Galatians, Ephesians, Corinthians. Those books are all written to churches. And a lot of them are written by this guy named Paul. Paul would go around and start these churches. And so these Jesus communities would go through struggles. And they would go through times of struggle and different issues that they were facing. And there's a different tone to all of these letters. If you look at the letter to the Corinthians, there's a lot of things that Paul has to say where he's basically saying, hey guys, knock it off. There's some areas of their life that they have to shore up and change their behavior. But when it comes to the Philippians, my professor in college said this is the shiniest book in the New Testament, meaning it's one of the most positive books of the entire Bible. Because Paul is writing to the church in Philippi in an anxious time. He's writing to them where they are going through trials and struggles of persecution, and they're just trying to hang on to their faith in the middle of this. So he has all of this encouragement as you go through Philippians. Maybe you've memorized or heard some of the verses from Philippians. Like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you're probably going to see that some of these that we dig into today are some famous verses that you may have heard before. Let's start together. Let's read in uh, Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 4. Let's start with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, when I was a kid, I memorized a lot of those verses. I was in a program called Awana. And over the years, I had memorized that first one of rejoice in the Lord always. And then completely separate from that verse, at a later point in my life, I had memorized the don't be anxious, but in prayer, but go to God in prayer. And then at a completely different time, I had memorized whatever is true, whatever is you know noble, that whole list right there. But I think it's really interesting that all of those verses, which are all so rich and so tweetable, like we could throw those up on Facebook and, and really you could just memorize that one this week and that could give you a lot of spiritual benefit. We could really grow by just one of those verses. But here they are connected together to help us deal with anxiety. So let's just look at the logical progression that Paul is going to have in this. 
See, it starts out with rejoicing in the Lord. And that's not just that this like blanket statement of just putting a smile on your face and pretending that all the bad stuff doesn't exist. That's not flipping this switch and just choosing to be happy. But joy is about perspective. And happiness is about circumstance. See, joy is choosing to shift our perspective to our joy in the Lord, in our hope that even in the middle of all of this craziness, we have a God who is on our side, backing us up and loves us and cares for us. And so we rejoice in the Lord and that can lead us to this idea of reasonableness. In the middle of what's going on, we have the obligation as Christians. That's what is in this verse, to be level-headed, to be steady through this process. Sometimes the phrase that gets used is a non-anxious presence. When I was in high school, I was in a car accident while driving the family van, and the van got totaled. And I remember one of the most stressful moments of my entire life was driving home and having to tell my dad what had happened. And in my moment, in my 16-year-old brain, I was melting down because this was the scariest, most stressful thing that had ever happened to me. And when I shared it with my dad, he was really cool and calm about the whole situation. He was like, well, that happened. And now we get to figure out how to fill out an insurance claim and that wonderful, annoying, grown-up world of stuff. And so he had been through this before. And so I was melting down, but he was a non-anxious presence in the middle of this. And I think that as Christians, we have a God who is walking with us through this. We're not left on our own. And so we can be reasonable because of our hope in the Lord. And so then from moving from rejoicing to reasonableness, then we don't have to be anxious. And it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything we're told to pray. Pray with two attitudes here, supplication, which is asking God to supply what we need. That's the root of that word, asking God for what we need. Supplication and thanksgiving. So it's not just that we go to God with our, our like Christmas list and we've got the kid you know, at Christmas and they're just writing down everything. I want a pony. No, we are going to God with thanksgiving, knowing that he's given us the situation at hand, but also knowing that he's big enough to get us through it. And, and I got to tell you that this whole don't be anxious, but pray. It's not like we just have to put the smile on and flip the switch and you don't get to be anxious now. You just have to be happy and you get to pray. I got to tell you, this is a process of constantly recentering our lives, recentering our emotions back on God as the source of our peace. And so we get to go to him in prayer in the middle of our struggles. And then comes this next verse. Maybe you've heard this one before. It talks about how the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard your hearts. Now, I've wrestled with this verse in my life because I have read books and I have talked to Christian believers who have been in situations that were extremely stressful and through prayer and some sort of spiritual experience, they felt this supernatural sense of calm in the middle of it. And I got to tell you, I've never had that experience. When I go to God about the things that I'm stressed out about, I might feel a little bit better, but at the end of the day, I'm probably still pretty stressed about those things. But, but notice that it's not the peace of Andrew. It's not the peace of you. It's not your peace that we're trusting in in that moment. 
This is the peace of God and saying that outside of myself, that there is a God who believes, who trusts, who is our protector. And that word of guarding would have meant something to the Philippian church because many of them were retired Roman soldiers and they had guarded things before. And the Roman soldier at that time, he was loaded for bear. He had all of the weapons and everything that he would have needed to fight any enemy that would have come against him. And so the peace of God guards our hearts and stands over us, even in the middle of situations where we don't feel at peace in the moment. And then there's a final exhortation here to meditate on, to think on the things that are true and noble and right, commendable, excellent, all of those things that he lists out. Now, when I had been taught that verse as a kid, I was given this as almost like the media checklist. Like if we're gonna watch a movie, if we're gonna you know, listen to a, an album of music, like does it hit all of these things? And I do think this is a good guideline for what we put in our head. I do think this is a good guideline for what we fill our minds with. But the reality is, in this whole situation and the way that this verse shows up in the text is connected to this idea of anxiety. And maybe part of what we're anxious about is that we've been filling our minds over and over again with our worries. And our focus has not been on the God who is bigger than our problems, but our focus has been on what we're up against right then. There's a phrase that has kind of helped me just to think about it, worry, is anti-meditation. It's the opposite of what God calls us to do. All throughout the Bible, believers and followers of God are called to meditate on His truth. We're supposed to read Scripture, to believe in those true things, and to fill our mind and sit in that space thinking about the truth of God. But when we worry, and when we put our focus on our problems and our circumstance, then we're, we're meditating on, we are thinking about those things that are stressing us out. See, the way that the human brain works is with neural pathways. When we think a thought or when we think about something, it's like it creates this pathway in our brain, almost like a bunch of hiking trails. If you've been out on hiking trails, you've seen that there are some trails that are well-worn. And it's almost like when we go down this path in our heads, we're thinking the same thought over and over and over again, and we're carving out a path that makes it easier for our brain to go down that path and to think those thoughts over and over again. And it, when we're filled with anxiousness and anxiety, we put our perspective on those things that stress us out, and we go down that path over and over and over again, saying, I don't know if we're gonna get through this. I don't know if I'm gonna measure up. This could happen in my life. We could lose the job. I don't know if we're gonna pay the bills, like over and over again with that stress. And what we're called to do is to shift our perspective to go down a different neural pathway, to think about whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is commendable, to go down that pathway. And so we're called to win a war in our mind as much as to alter our behavior to follow Jesus. And that's, that's how Paul ends it. Is he says, live out as a result of all of these things, dealing with our anxiety, having a God that we can go to. We live out the truth of who we are as believers. And it is in that 
that the peace of God will guard our hearts. It's in that that we have the peace of God. I'll end with one final story. When we were filming all the worship sets at the church, and we, we set up a couple different cameras as we were filming the music and worship time, there was something that kept happening. And I'm not entirely sure why, because I'm not a camera expert, but I have worked with cameras quite a bit in the last couple weeks. But the camera kept auto-focusing on the cross on the back of our sanctuary. And it kept selecting that as the thing that it would focus on. Now, the way a camera works when it auto-focuses is it kind of blurs out everything else. And the camera kept focusing on the cross and blurring everything else out. I think that that might be a good way for us to approach the perspective of anxiety, is that we need to turn our focus to God. We need to put our focus on the one who stands above all the situations that we're in. And when we do that, day after day, maybe you spend some time in having a devotional time in the morning and recentering your heart with God, or maybe it's stuff that you do throughout the day, but when we focus on Him, we can deal with our anxiety in the rest of it. And so I've just got one thought for us today, that we would focus on Him as our source of peace.